Y'all can be seated. Thank you, my friend. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You excited to be here? I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here to share with you next. Um, I love when God's people are excited. And this reading this morning is straight from God. Load it now with meaning. A reading from Psalm 78, I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories that we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. And we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his mighty power and his mighty wonders, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children, so that each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. The word of the Lord. Before I um, get into the, the, the heart of this message, there's something I want to share with you that uh, I was not fully prepared that was going to happen this week that completely caught me off guard. Um, but it was one of those few times in life where I've said that many times for every door that's being closed in our lives, perhaps there's a thousand others being opened. And perhaps in our lifetime, we might see and understand maybe a half dozen of those. And I, I feel like I saw one of those this, this past week. And I have to take you back nearly 27 years ago when on a whim in the beginning of January of 1997, on just on a whim, because I had some money in my continuing education fund, I flew down to Austin, Texas to be a part of a conference there that was called that time Choice Ministries it would later turn on into, into the Passion Conference. I, didn't, I never knew the numbers until this past week, but apparently there were 2,000 of us. I think we have a picture up here. There only, I can only find maybe four or five pictures online of this conference. I am always looking, where am I in there, right? <laughs> and at the very last day, I think it was on January 3rd or 4th, um, I remember a very young John Piper. He was probably 45 years old at the time. He challenged all of us there. He said, um, God, we're called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, wherever God leads us. And the Bible talks about three groups of people. They're the goers, those who feel called and compelled to go out into the world to take that message, be heralds of the gospel. They're goers. And he said, they're, they're senders, those who support those who are going. They pray for them. They, they love them. They give to them. There's the goers, the senders, and he said, and there's the disobedient. Which one are you? And I remember he challenged us. He said, who in here will be heralds of the gospel, take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And I remember at the time, I never knew the number, 
but I found out this past week, there were about 300 of us that stood up in there. And they thought we misunderstood, so they had us all sit down again, okay? And it, Piper did it again, and we all stood back up. And I've often wondered over the years where those other, those 300 people are, where are they in ministry around the world? And I got a chance about six months ago to hear the story of one of them. And I was, in a, I was on a Zoom call um, for this year, which we took, gosh, nearly 40 people to the passing conference in Atlanta, which is now 50 to 60,000. So we moved from 2,000 to 60,000 in 27 years. And I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of other pastors, and Lou, Lou was on there, and, and we were probably 10 minutes into it, and his face kind of lit up when this woman came in there named Marla Yasaku, who was from Japan. Grew up in America, went to Texas A&M, became a Christian when she was 21 or 22, was at the conference with me, and was one of the 300 people that stood up. And within a year, after her standing up, she was doing missionary work in Japan. And, and Lou was sharing the story about that, and I connected with her. I was like, I've got to talk to you. Because there's a, there's a spirit you have with people that were there that's hard to describe. And I remember she said to me, as we were texting back and forth, she said that, um, she said that was a watershed moment in the history of evangelicalism in this country in the last hundred years. And she's now been there 26 years doing missionary work, and she got married in Japan. And she was, and anyway, so Louis said she really wants to bring the group of kids, college kids, she's ministered to, to America to see the passing conference. She just didn't have the money to do it. And maybe some of you out here in the Zoom call might feel called to give to this. Well, I knew right away there's a reason why God's goods exist to raise money for stuff just like this. And so our church gave significantly to be able to bring those kids over. And here's the thing that's so amazing. So I, she texted me last week and said, I'm, we're, we're, in, we're stateside now. We're in America. But I wasn't completely sure she was at the conference. So I texted her. I was like, hey, if you're at the conference, let's get together. Let's talk. Um, and she didn't respond. I walked in the stadium. I sat down in the seat. And I kid you not, it was in, I think, 60 seconds later. I got to put the picture up here. Out comes Shelly Giglio, and she's, I got to introduce you to somebody. It was Marla in front of 55,000 people. And that's why I texted her, you're here, you're here. <laughs> and then a, a few minutes later, we were able to connect, and this is what I think is so amazing. Let me put the, well, you see the picture up here of us, um, just some of her own children, along with one she brought from Japan, along with some of our leaders and my own two children up there with me. And what I found was so, what gripped my heart is here we are 27 years later, 27 years after I stood up there, literally one year later I was in seminary to the exact day. And she was in Japan one year later. And I realized what we're passing on 27 years later, we're now inviting our children to who invite their children. It'll be, it'll be some other ministry 25 years from now. There's seasons and stuff, but it speaks to what I'm talking about this morning, this idea of generation to generation, transferring knowledge from generations to the other. 
And my hope has always been that our church might be something like that. Multicultural, multi-generational, other-centered. And I think what's so helpful sometimes is to understand what it means to, uh, what does it mean to connect with other generations? Do we have the other picture up here? Did you miss it? Oh, that's, I think we had it backwards. That was her up there, Marla, in front of the, in front of the 55,000 people. But she got up and talked about having an impact on the generations, and I think it's helpful sometimes to help. To order for us to be able to, to minister together, we have to understand each other. And this is what I think is so much lost. And I think it's helpful to at least talk about briefly about each generation. Let me put the first one up here, the greatest generation. There are not many of them left, are there? I'll have a funeral this week for one of them. Very few people. You see the dates up there, 1901 to 1927 when they're born. They're very much connected with this other generation, the silent generation, which was my father's generation, Father Owen's generation. These are otherwise known as the traditionalists. Um, they were most likely raised during the Depression or born in the Depression. They were born or raised during World War II. That very much had an impact in their lives and still does to this day. They also witnessed what happened in World War II. They, they, they witnessed the systematized murder of seven million people. And the silent generation got their name for being silent because they were conformists, because they grew up in most likely poverty. They grew up with hard times. They're never complainers. They grew up having an incredible work ethic. And they expected their children to be the same. And this had a great influence on how they think. And then there are the, the baby boomers, okay? 1946 to 1964. Are there any boomers out here, okay? Okay. You grew up during the Cold War. Um, you grew up during the Vietnam War. You were the first generation to really discover, okay, that not all politicians tell the truth. Now, that may be something we're used to. It was not at the time. We just naturally trust well, the president will never lie, right? And we discovered that that wasn't true. You learned about space travel, that your generation actually put a man on the moon, which was just unthinkable at the time that that happened. But above all those things, the one thing of that generation was you captured and went after what's called the American dream. And that is that you could, get, you could buy your, your first home, you could have a white picket fence. You could have two cars in your driveway, and you could have the, the possibility to send your children to, to college, that this was both possible and attainable, this American dream. And the boomers gave birth to Generation X, my generation, okay? You see the dates there, 1965 to 1980. Um, the generation of cable TV, the Challenger explosion, the end of the Cold War, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the AIDS epidemic, Y2K, remember that, right? The rise of grunge music, okay? We were often called the Latsky generation. And the reason why, when our parents were chasing after the American dream to get all that, very often, both parents worked. And so we would, we would ride the school bus in the morning. Imagine such a thing. That still exists, right, doesn't it? 
You drop it off and you would sometimes very often come home alone until your parents got home later that night. The Generation X. And then there are the millennials, which I've learned that every, anybody over the age of 60 thinks every young person is lumped into this. Okay, I've learned this. <laughs> but you see the dates there, okay? Uh, they were born during the birth of the internet. They may be able to remember what AOL was. Right? Remember AOL? Remember dial-up? But people talk about slow internet. You have no idea, right? Some millennials remember this, right? And they can remember when Amazon was not just a bookstore. They remember it was all, all it sold was just books. They can remember that. Their significant events in their life is Columbine. It, they realized that going to school was not completely safe because school shootings were happening all over the place. They never felt completely safe. Then there's Generation Z. You see the dates there. This is at least three or four of my children here. Um, this generation has been raised almost completely on social media. They all have cell phones. They have laptops. Um, they can name specifically nearly every SpongeBob episode, right? <laughs> and by the way, it was the end of Blockbuster. And you were like, well, what does that matter? It's because that led to streaming. And that led to having nearly everything on your phone, which gave birth to basically the idea is, and certainly any Generation Z would know this, that you have two lives. You have your offline version, and you have your online version. You have your online life that you see on Instagram, TikTok, whatever social platform. In many ways, you, and sometimes they were very, those, those lives are very different from the other how people see you, and not on that, how you often see yourself, how you see other people. And lastly is Generation Alpha, at least two of my children here, and some that are not yet born. This will be the most tech-savvy generation in history because they've been born in it and raised in it. And right now, today, over 50% of people that are in this generation will either be born in single-parent homes or have parents that are divorced, 50%. And the most significant impact in life without question, the most significant impact in life they will remember 20 and 30 years from now. Do you know what it is? It's the pandemic. They, were, they will talk about how they had to wear masks to school and how it impacted them. And the, and the division in the world that happened over that. And you, I want you to look at all these generations up here. That here's what I want you to know. The temptation has always been, and will always be, by the way, that we always have to push against, that, that every generation seems to fall prey to, every single generation, and that is the belief that my generation is the best. And every generation that comes after that is less than. And I, did, I need to lecture them and yell at them about why they're not where we were. And this has led to my first point here, and that is every generation has to be aware of generational arrogance. That is the older generation lecturing the younger. You don't respect authority. You don't have morals. You don't appreciate what people have done before you. Labeling people, you're woke. 
And I was thinking about, I was putting this message together. I got to find that quote I found years ago. Let Let me put it up here. The children nowadays now live in love luxury. They have bad manners. They have contempt for authority. And they show disrespect for their elders. Something probably you have said or thought. Do you know who said this? Put it up there. Socrates. (laughs) Right. In the year 430 B.C., right? Every generation feels this. And and by the way, it's not recorded in this statement whether, whether he was on his front lawn waving his fist, right? Like that, you know. And by the way, that's not just the, the older looking at the younger. It's the younger generation looking at the older generation saying, you're outdated. You're old-fashioned. You don't understand the times. You, 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 you just don't get it. You're a problem with society. You're the problem with the world. And what I now know is that the belief is that every generation, they have some glorious past that we're, we, got, we say, I've got, we got to get back to how it used to be. That's when it was great. And I remember very well, I've, I was talking about this to people the last few years. They go, gosh, back in the 80s, man, that's when we were like, we had morality, we were doing, you know, it was this. And I remember very specifically, I was probably 11 or 12 years of, old, of age in the early 80s, and my grandfather, that greatest generation, was yelling at my grandmother in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I was remembering that I was in the kitchen, and he was saying, Mary, it's the problem with this generation. Where have our morals gone? We got to get back to how it was in the 50s when Ike was president. That was when we were great. And I realized he was doing what we've all done, that every generation has this glorious, nostalgic past that it was great, then, and it was not. It had every bit of the problems we have today. They're just different problems. The only truly glorious past that is true is found in Eden. Every generation that's come after that is flawed, has strengths, and has flaws. So Psalm 78 is showing us every generation that we can learn from the others, learn the strengths and the weaknesses from this. Look what it says up here. So each generation should set its hope um, anew on God. Not how it used to be, but set our hope on God that is found in the gospel. And one of the chief characteristics that we should have for this is generations should have from generation to generation is the idea of humility, which is largely missing nowadays. Look what it says here. Pride only leads to disgrace, but with humility comes what? Wisdom. Pride is one of the few diseases that makes everybody else sick beside the person who has it. I remember well when I was, you know, in my teens and early 20s that um, my father used to tell me all the time, now listen, Jonathan, you don't need to get a credit card. You don't need to get credit card debt. You need to drive defensively. You need to, you need to always finish a job well. You don't need to speak ill of people. You need to do this and do that. And I remember hearing my dad just telling me, constantly telling me these things. And I remember thinking, um, I know he loves me, but he's just too old-fashioned. He just doesn't get it. And I now know that, um, you know, rolling my eyes no matter what he said, uh, that every young person, usually, we look at our parents, and I'm telling you, this is the, I remember thinking at the time, 
I absolutely honestly believe this way back. My parents are just idiots. <laughs> right? They, they don't get it. And then I became a parent. And suddenly you realize, okay, oh my gosh, that's why they were thinking that. Okay, I, I did, you, just, you have a higher vantage point to see things that you just couldn't see at that time. And the great lesson is we don't look at anybody. We don't look at the younger and say you are less than. We don't look at the older and say that is either. I, I think we can learn a lot from each generation. So, therefore, we're always remaining a student here. And I might even say this as a, a parent who is my children are getting older. I still have a, a young one. But I know this for a fact because it's not, I don't have to reach that far back, is that parents with young children, um, we need all the help we can get. But we need people to love us, not lecture us. And also, parents of young children, don't be so prideful that you, you don't have enough pride. You don't reach out to people and ask, can you come help me? Can you assist me? Can you come alongside me? Because I don't know what I'm doing here. I need your counsel. I need your, I need your advice. And what I would say to you, this is the, the idea of, the, of being vulnerable, being available and being vulnerable. If you're vulnerable, it, you just have no idea what it can open up to. Let me, let me just give you an example of this. I remember well back in 2014 when I'm visiting a 14-year-old girl in the hospital who's got a broken back, broken arm, bruised brain, bruised lungs, lacerated liver, laying in that hospital bed with a broken body, who was a runner. And in, in our conversation, she found out that I ran in college. And she said, why are you not running anymore? And I gave all kinds of excuses and stuff like that. And I remember she said to me, if I can get out of this bed again and run again, will you run with me? Now, what would you say, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, I, I, what I could not see then that I know now, she became vulnerable. She opened a door. She had the courage to open a door. I walked through it, which led me all this connection with all these other kids. It led me connection to coaching. It led me, and it, which gave birth to me taking kids to passion 25 years later. All from the ability to be vulnerable, from one thing, one door that opened to all these other ones. And for, because of that, I'm forever changed. And that's how often life transpires God, when God surprises in inopportune times, in inopportune moments, with inopportune gifts. This is the way of providence. And only when you look back, when you look back, you can look back and say, it was the perfect time and the perfect gifts and the perfect moment. And you can look back and see the hand of God moving here. And by the way, let me add it, the willingness to have no agenda. That's the thing I, ha I, I see constantly. I'm going to come and tell you young people how you need to be living. No, you go there with an open heart. Let's listen. Let's talk. Let's, what can we do to help? It's, it's just allow the Lord to lead. And I think about this, um, this whole idea of taking all those kids to Passion. It was there at Passion three, four years ago, four years ago, that one person just like me came to last moment, and he took the wrong train at Passion, ended up meeting his wife on the train. 
from Missouri. Remember him? They're now married. They have a one-year-old here in Bluffton. Lisa and I are constantly meeting with them, pouring our lives into them. What I know now is um, none of your time you ever give to people is ever wasted. Ever. And I know more than ever, we all have a need in here to be needed. Because God made us like this. And what I want to say to you is just what could the divine possibilities be if we just make ourselves available and we make ourselves vulnerable? Just what could happen? Let's lead me to the second point here, and that is every generation of Christ followers, that's you here, we are called to a higher standard. See, that's where God's standard is. God's standard is up here. He's he's raising the bar. And what I want to ask this morning is, what could our Christian community be like to the generations if we honestly loved and respected people, not only the people below us, younger than us, but also respecting the people even that are older than us? See, it goes both ways. This is not one way. This goes both ways here. And that we would speak well of each other in private. Imagine such a thing, right? And I heard, a, I heard a quote back maybe a month and a half ago. And I'm like, oh, I'm putting this in the message, okay? Um, it was a pastor, and he, he, I don't know where, I went and tried to look up online. I couldn't find it anywhere. But he called it, he called it grapevine glory. Now, we know what speaking, speaking through the grapevine is, right? You boomers remember Marvin Gaye, right? Okay. I heard it through the grapevine. And usually when we hear that, we, we are talking ill of somebody. What he, here's what he said. Grapevine glory is the exact opposite. And that is, you are speaking well of somebody even when they're not around. And the, the idea is this, okay? You, you, you see a friend of yours and says, hey, hey, listen, listen. I got to tell you something, but I don't want you to tell anybody, okay? You know Dave? Man, he is doing such an incredible job right now. He is such an amazing witness here. He's doing, listen, he is a breath of fresh air. With all he's got going on in his life and everything going on, he just still continues to show up. What a witness he is. But don't tell him. Don't tell him. It's great vine glory. Because you know it will get out. It does. That's the kind of stuff that's the stuff of heaven. And with all our negativity in our world right now, in our culture, with all the distrust people have between the generations, I'm saying, what I'm saying to you this morning, what I'm saying to you is we in this room, we could be the difference makers. Just imagine the impact, just us in this room. I saw it 27 years ago when 300 people stood up. I saw it. It can happen. We speak kindness to people when they're, even when they're not even around. And it reminded me of something that my college coach used to tell us. And it's amazing because I heard another coach say it a couple of years ago as well. He, uh, he said, and later she said, let's give people their flowers long before they're dead. That is, we are suggesting here we express our love and our gratitude and our appreciation for people long before they are gone. Because that's when you usually give flowers and you speak well of people. Oh, they were so great. Tell them that when they're alive. You never know the impact it could have on people. Because tomorrow is never promised, right? 
So why wait? Why wait? And lastly up here, we are called to invest in eternal currency. And that is that there are only two things going to eternity. Uh, people and the word of God. And that's what I heard 27 years ago from Piper, what I'm saying to you now, we should leverage our lives and a larger part of what we have into both, the word of God and to people. That's what we're about here. So, and why is that? Look what the psalmist says. So the next generation, the ones that come after even these, these younger generations, that they might know, even, not, on that, not just them, even the children not yet born. This church exists. One of the reasons why is because 150 years ago, people built that historic campus over there. They, they, could not, they couldn't come close to filling it here, yet they had a vision here. And they will in turn teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God. Every, I'm telling you, every single person in this place has a part to play. And every single generation can have an impact on the others. And when it comes down, it comes down to eternal currency. Because long after I'm gone, 100 years, people will not remember me 100 years from now. My great-grandchildren will not even know who I am. I'll just be some name. But what we do will last. That will echo into eternity. And so my prayer is that not only would we raise the standard for our church, but even more importantly, us in here would raise the standard of our lives in this. Empowering and investing in generations to come. Because that's a legacy. And what I'm saying to you is we have been, we are stewards of what God's given us. We're stewards. We're caretakers. So we make this place better, but we didn't create it. We're just passing through it. But we're leaving a legacy. We're leaving a legacy. And after all, what is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden. It's been said to me before. It's planting seeds in a garden that you and I will probably never get a chance to see. But will impact generations from now. Love, legacy, and God. From generation to generation. And what I want to say to you this morning is I want to thank you, and I mean this. So many of you have given so much to this church and to me personally to impact future generations, which is why this past week we took 36, 37 people to Atlanta, Georgia to be a part of 55,000 people, 1,600 universities, people from all around the globe, all around the world to dare to glorify God that will echo for, for centuries from now, the impact we'll have. And some of you in here, you gave personally to this. You gave so we can make it happen. And I want to say thank you. And this is what I want to show you. I want you to watch this. It's just a sign he's getting close. He's already on.
Something I enjoyed about Passion is just being around so many people that um, just love God and you can tell that they yearn to be in God's presence. It just has, it opens up like a, a space that you feel safe and you don't feel alone and you feel like you can just be in the presence of God. I think a lot of the speakers, um, they got, they had amazing speakers, you know, that really poured into my life. Just certain things like that that I feel like I'll carry on for my entire life and can't wait to be back next year. Um, now that I'm a senior and I'm going to be going into college soon, I got to experience what college passion is like in Atlanta this week. And it was just so incredible. I think everything from the speakers and what they had to say about my life to the worship sessions, it brought me even closer to God than I ever thought I could be. So it makes me really excited for the future. And when I go into college, what I can take from this week and how I can take it on campus um, and really let it impact my life. So really passion, I just really enjoy myself because of the opportunities it provided. You know, being around some more people that you can really connect with and just building yourself to be a better person with the speakers that they have and the people that, that are around you just, just to be better, just to make a change in your life, you know? And when it comes to like just serving God and really seeing that in your community and trying to grow into the kingdom of God and allow more people to just celebrate. So yeah, I just really enjoy passion and speakers, the music, everything about it was just a great part. Thank you. Church, let's stand and worship together. 